Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast, a podcast that is designed to talk about the job. I'm the luckiest guy alive. I get to interview the coolest people out there in the American Fire Service and talk about the job. Everything from guys riding backwards, officers, chiefs, up through companies, people, manufacturers, products, organizations, you name it. We're trying to capture the stories to promote the job and make the job better. So if you're returning and you're a regular listener, thank you. If you're new to the podcast, check it out and let us know what you think. Podcast at nationalfireradio.com is where you can find us. Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show, people that you think might be a good guest, or anything else that you want to talk about. Send it over to podcast at nationalfireradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And what we get to do is bring forth the word about the job. But in order to do that, we need the help of some sponsors. So do me a favor, hang tight, and listen to the words from a few of our sponsors. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at boxalarmgrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his team have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 shields in the market. Taylor's Tins is a leader in the American Fire Service helmet front space. Not only do they manufacture helmet fronts, but they do so much more. Locker tags, key chains, CO monitor charts, medical kit charts, pump charts, banquet awards, you name it, they do it. Go over to taylorstins.com and check out what they can offer you today. They've become a longtime sponsor and good friend of the National Fire Radio podcast. And because of that, they offer a promo code at checkout. So when you go to taylorstins.com, Enter NFR sent me. That is NFR sent me, and you'll get 15% off your checked out order. It works on all stock items from taylorstins.com, including quick tins, license plates, locker tags, and much, much more. Exclusions do apply. This is a company that prides themselves on quality and customer service. From the inception, from your design to out the door, it's within 48 hours. Nobody else is doing that. They can't do that. 48 hours to get your shield out the door to you to put it on your helmet and get to the next job. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. Again, that's taylorstins.com. Check out their latest offerings and use promo code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for 15% off on your checkout. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everybody, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. This week's going to be a great week. I got some heavy hitters, and we're starting the week off right 
with Lieutenant Augie Matt. Augie, thanks for joining me, brother. Thanks for having me. Of course. I, I This is an exciting one for me. You and I got mixed up a few years ago for your training conference, which we're going to get into, which is the Heavy Rescue Conference. You do that up in Syracuse, New York. And uh, I was lucky enough to sneak in uh, on an overnight and uh, walk the grounds, the training grounds that day. And it was a lot of fun to see a conference that has real specific uh, gearing towards heavy rescue specialties, everything from metal cutting to man versus machine to vehicle extrication to ropes to rigging. I mean, you name it, it's any heavy rescue discipline out there. Your conference is designed specifically for that. It was pretty cool to see. Yes, trying to keep the nitty gritty. You know, we've been to tons of conferences over the years as students and have taught a few others as well. And we were just kind of looking for that. We felt something was missing. You know, we're looking for that nitty gritty like you and I were talking about before, kind of like those nitty-gritty articles and yes. topics that we, you and I used to read about when we were brand new. 100%, man. I love narrow focus because I think we get more out of it. I think too often in the fire service we paint with broad strokes, and when we do mm-hmm. that, we're trying to hit every demographic, every type of firefighter, every type of discipline, and I think what we're doing is then – you know, vanillaing out, if you will, the message. And I think narrow is better. And, and certainly focusing on the Heavy Rescue Conference and those disciplines, you don't find advanced metal cutting at many conferences. No, and like you said, I think the broadening is good for entry level. Yeah. You know, for like your first five years when you're finding yourself. Exposure. Whether yeah. volunteer or career. Yep. But after that, you know, like you said, trying to hit the focus and, and narrowing, the, you know, an area to, to focus on and yeah. perfect. So let's break it down real quick. So a little bit of intro, 20-plus years in the fire service, 15 as a volunteer, 19 as a career fireman, currently a lieutenant on Truck 8 in the city of Syracuse, New York. I got a couple stories about Syracuse. My brother graduated from Syracuse University, so I happen to know That's that right. area uh, and <laughs> and enjoyed myself on uh, more than a few occasions up there. Um, I'm sure. It's not hard to do up here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good town, man. It's a lot of fun. Um, You were the senior driver for the rescue company for many years, uh, promoted out in June of 2020 to a lieutenant spot, rode the engine for a bit. You took a staff job, which I want to hop into because I think something real important came out of the staff job, which was a program that you developed with a partner of yours, another lieutenant, the professional development program, which I think is really interesting. And I want to hop into that conversation. Uh, And then you came back out and now you're riding the truck and uh, that's got to be a lot of fun for you as well. So Sounds like a Absolutely. hell of a hell of a career over the last you know twenty years, um, and Syracuse is a fire town. I mean, you guys do work. We do work absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what do you so break it down for me? When you came into the fire service, was rescue? I mean, because <laughs> you you rolled into um, the rescue conference, and it's because of your influence riding the rescue company for so many years. I'm sure, and furthering your own education, which is going to be a big theme of our conversation today. But all of it. What was it all about for you? Like, what about the fire service when you came into it was just, what was the hook for you? Do you know? Well, well, for me, I, uh, I first started out living on the east side of Syracuse and I live, this is kind of really going back to like bicycle days. I'm going to really nerd out for a moment. Do it. Um, we had some family friends on the job. I didn't really know much about it. You know, the fire trucks, whatever. Well, you'd start to hear sirens and I'd ride my bike to the end of the street and there was a big, big main thoroughfare called James street. And one day I saw this monster of a rig go flying by and this thing was so loud. I could hear it coming from downtown. I love it. And long story short, it was the heavy rescue. It was rescue one. It was the uh, Salisbury 
Um, there's a picture of it out there. It was yeah. their tandem Salisbury with a international Paystar 5000. Oh, Real yeah. monster. It was a beast. monster. Beautiful Absolutely. Rig. And you guys were orange um, back then, like a, a like an orangish yellow color, right? Like a safety yellow. Yep. Yeah, we, yeah. We went to that in the 70s yep. under Chief Hamlin. Um, and we were still that up until around 1990. I think it was 99, 98, somewhere in that range. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I saw that monster and kind of intrigued me. I didn't know exactly what it was about. Fast forward a bunch of years, we moved out of the city to the east side. My best friend, his father, was a volunteer fire, one of the fire chiefs in the fire department. And uh, so I always saw this fire SUV, as we joke about now, you know, yeah. in the driveway, and I had no clue. Well, I became, you know, of age, 14 years old, and they had an Explorer program up there. And uh, that's really where it started as far as getting my foot in the door in the fire service. And one of my mentors who was a former chief there and, um, you know, fire instructor and all this stuff. We talked about two things specifically and they've stuck with me forever. And it kind of, you know, drove me to where I am now. He talked about focusing on incident command and command structure and command presence and rescue work. He said, those two areas right there are really where it's at. If, if you're, you know, he, he could kind of probably tell I was a little bit of a wild child, but, you know, he said those two areas right there, if you can focus on those two, if, if you enjoy them and you, you know, have like working with your hands on the rescue side and the sure. mechanical aptitude, he said, that's, that's the angle you want to head towards. And as time went on, you know, I, my entry level type stuff, taking extrication courses and, and written stuff like that, you know, just totally intrigued. And then, you know, obviously there's some tragedy. We had nine 11 in 2001. Right. Um, in September of 2001, and then six months later, um, my own town, we experienced a line of duty death of mm. two firefighters, Wow, uh, which was horrible. Yeah. And, you know, I could have done the easy thing. I could have been like, this is not for me, you know, very dangerous, saw the, the effects of 9-11, but I decided it was for me. So I kept going, and then I went to University of New Haven in Connecticut, and a lot of the guys I went to school with, their fathers passed away in 9-11. Mm. Okay. So just became entrenched with, with people with the same mindset and, you know, just kind of went off into the rescue world, just heading that direction. And then when I got hired on the job, um, you know, when I worked in the department prior to Syracuse, I worked in the Manliest Fire Department. We were, we were at Combination Department, the daytime staff. We depended heavily on mutual aid. And, you know, you were it. You didn't have many options during the daytime. We had right. two transporting ambulances. So we did a lot of a lot of everything, you know, car wrecks, very limited um, technical stuff at the time. But sure. It was a lot of you had to, you had to get learn some of this stuff really fast. Yeah. Um, and then I, I got into Syracuse and very regimented, which is awesome. Um, and we were always watching the rescue guys at different alarms and. Two of my first bosses were res former rescue guys, so it was that's kind of where it, where it kept going from there. Yeah, and I got to think too, starting at fourteen, right with that with that influence at such a young age, you know, you you did say it before the broad strokes important for your early years, right? Because it it broadens Absolutely. your horizon to all the different things that are available to us as firefighters, right? And it's and, and, and that, go ahead, please. And it's crazy because you know in this day and age of liability, and there's been a lot of you know. I know junior programs of that sort have taken a lot of heat based on things that have happened over time. But I truly believe because I'm a product and that program that I was in, 
I know people that were in that program that another one is a career lieutenant as well, not in Syracuse, but actually in the same department that we started in together. Good, good friend of mine um, through high school and that. I truly believe those programs are the way to get people. And I know there's different programs now through schools sure. and um, I actually teach at a community college as well. Um, but you got to get them young. It's, it's, it's that time frame when people don't know what they want to do in life, obviously. And I know there's some people that change, you know, their course of, of work. They may have worked some other areas and then decided this is what they want. But I truly believe if you can get people young um, and catch on to that motivation of helping people and making a big difference in your community. Um, I also, I also think it does. I, I think the fire service does so much for the individual when you, when you can grab somebody oh, yeah. at a young age and it, and they're impressionable. Say they I mean, so many guys I talk to were like, Hey man, I was, I was from a rough town. I was a rough neighborhood. I was a rough kid. I got involved in stuff I shouldn't be doing. And the fire department was something I was looking for and it came along and it just happened to come along in my life and it influenced me. And I come to find out that I needed the fire service in my life. And I, I find that those conversations and the people that tell me those types of stories are some of the best firefighters I know. Honestly, and a lot of my friends, same way, you know, if yeah. it wasn't for the fire service, we'd either be in the military for a bit <laughs> right, or in jail or in jail. I mean, yeah. there's really no other options. I mean, you know, I didn't particularly like, you know, high school. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of us that want to get into this field are really kind of hands on. Um, and when I was going to school, it was like, you got to go to college. You know, it was, that was the, it was that expected, was that right? Yeah. It was that era. I grew up in the same yeah. era. You and didn't like, really have a choice. You're not going to get a job at McDonald's without right. college. And you know, that's just the way it was at the time. That's right. But I find that really interesting too, because I'm very much the same way. And we're going to, we're going to talk about furthering education in a little bit, but a lot of times, like I grew up as a kid that tinkered all the time. I was always outside. I was always building things, constructing things, breaking it down, rebuilding it, you know, and so on. So it was very hands-on and the mechanical aptitude that you talked about earlier, very much in my life like that that is what I do and 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 how I move forward in life I'm a tinkerer and I like to I like to build and construct and engineer and all those things and I'm sure you're very much the same way knowing you and and you know your discipline in the rescue uh, services and all that but like with that a lot of those kids aren't book worthy they don't want to study they're not into schooling as much formal education if you will their education looks different but as we as we get older and mature, we start to find our way back to the studying and further education. And that becomes more important to us. No, absolutely. Why? Well, it kind of, it's, it kind of adds, well, you know how it goes. There's mm -hmm. the practical application, which we learn through experience yeah. and skill sets, but there's that theory as well. And there's a, there's a happy medium there somewhere. I think so. Um, I think you're right. Absolutely. Uh, actually, Bob Pressler said something. I, I saw the quote maybe a couple months ago, and he said, you know what, uh, a statement or an action without practicing it is just that theory, you know? So yeah. tying that back into what we're talking about, you know, it was something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, it's so it. true because, you know, you learn stuff entry level as a firefighter and, you, you know, fire one and all the other courses you take, and then you, you do it for X amount of time. Well, then that theory becomes more reinforced and that applies as you go up and even, you know, laterally, depending on what you do, if it's special ops or become a driver instructor, whatever, you know, it, I just feel it. I don't know how, I don't know. It just, 
well, there's I th- something to be said for. Yeah, I think pe- like I think over time, like you can teach me how to do something mechanically, right? And I learn, I pick up on it, I get it. But then it's the back end of it is like, all right, he just showed me how to fix it, but why do I need to fix it, right? right. And then the why, and, the yeah, why is really the, the answer. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think over time, it, with experience and maturity, you come to want the full answer and not just the end game, right? Like you want to know why it needs to be fixed before how to fix it. And that to me is a really interesting guy. I literally just had this conversation with my 15 year old daughter last night. Cause she's, she's a straight a student and she's bombing geometry. She hates geometry, crushed, crushed honors algebra last year, straight A's across the board gets into geometry and she's drowning in it and hates it. And it's because of her mindset and where she is with it. And I had to explain to her about, you know, what she hates about geometry is learning the theory behind all of it and, and, and so on. And I said to her, you got to embrace that. I said, that's life. And as you get older, you're going to have to embrace all of that. So I get it. So let me ask you this, right? So you get into the firehouse. Now you made a comment to me earlier about Syracuse and you know, your love for firefighting was with you as you came through the, the effects of 9-11, the line of duty deaths that occurred close to home, those are all things that make that job very real for you. And so then you get into Syracuse, you get hired in a town that's a fire town, and you go through the academy. You were saying that all the recruits that come out of the academy go to engine companies. Yes, uh, we all go to engine companies. And, you know, as time has gone on, I think that's extremely important. Talk you know, to I me about that. I know, and I yeah. know guys all over the country and some of them have started on trucks and, you know, just different models and different um, types of, of departments and um, which is great, you know, but at least here for sure, it only helps, you know, to understand and truly experience, you know, the fundamentals of firefighting being, you know, extinguishment first is great. And not everyone, you know, if people want to go to, you know, a truck company or whatever, that's great. But if they don't, they can still stay on an engine if they prefer, you know, but it's a very important job. Well, I think the the basics of engine company is, is needs to be instilled into everybody coming out of the academy, right? I mean, those are your foundational blocks of, of the American Fire Service's extinguishment, right? And from extinguishment, we do everything else to support the mission of extinguishment. Absolutely. Yeah. So from there... You're riding. Now you're like, okay, I've been exposed to things early on in life, the other aspects of the fire service. And so you're going through your your years as a firefighter in Syracuse and you find your way to the rescue. I mean, I'm assuming that childhood memory of that international Salisbury jamming up the road every day, you know, was ingrained in you. And so the the rescue obviously then was probably a just a no brainer for you. It was a, it was a goal. I, I had put in a transfer. So the cool part was, is my first boss uh, was a captain um, down at engine eight. When I started, he was a former Lieutenant and firefighter from the rescue. And my first district chief um, had been on for eons, worked at some of the busiest engines, but also worked for a long time at the rescue. Um, so they just, you know, they just conversations about, you know, they would tell stories or just conversations about, you know, different things just kind of inspired me to want to, you know, we looked up at these guys too, you know, you go to alarms and they have these salty helmets and mustaches, you know, how it goes. I you know, do. When you're, I get when it. you're young, I got hired in series at 21. So when you're a young, yeah. very impressionable kid, you're like, Holy cow, these guys are the real deal. You go to fires and you see these guys come rolling out of places. You're like, wow, it's <laughs> aggressive. That. I love how but, you, I love how you're painting that picture though, because I, I believe that. Right. And like, well, it's, 
yeah, it's still very real for me, even though, you know, it's been a few years now, you know, and as sad as it sounds, you start looking around and a lot of the people that you looked up to have retired and moved on or promoted or whatever. It's like, man, you know, to me, it's still, I feel like I just got on yesterday. Yeah. Is, is the rescue a spot you'd like to get back to now that you're a boss? Oh, absolutely. I always yeah. want to go back. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. I was there for 12 years and, uh, yeah, it'd be a great place to return if I could. And it's, Life and it's, is good right now as well. No, I get that for sure. I mean, absolutely. You're back to a company that you wrote on originally too, I think, right? You said? The same same house. I'm same on, house. I'm okay. trucky. I started on the engine there, but same house, same shift. Um, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And so through promotion though, right? Now you you promote out of the... Well, before we even get there, we it should be said that the, the heavy rescue in Syracuse is, exact, is exactly that. It is a heavy rescue company that is a, an urban city rescue company. So can you just give me city the breakdown? Yeah, give me the breakdown on wide rig. Um, when I started down there, we rode with seven. Wow. Um, and then we were... Loaded up. To, Oh yeah, we were, we had a small like a chase rig called Rescue Two, which helped uh, the engine companies with trauma and different other various alarms. Oh, okay. Um, but we were reduced down to six in 2011 um, through a series of cuts. Okay. Um, and then changed firehouses, but so it's broken down basically into two search teams. You know, for a, a basic fire, two search teams, and then the boss and the driver um, are very flexible. The bosses. You know, they start out as outside positions, you know, egress, forceful entry, ladders. They're the initial RIT crew behind the truck company um, that shows up. Just trying to make sure things are moving along for the search crews. And the first search crew, team one's going to go to the fire floor. Team two's going to go to the floor above. They're going to do their primaries. And then their goal is to uh, do the secondary in the spot that they didn't do the primary. So kind of check the other person's work, so to speak. Yeah, no, I get um, that. I get that. But and, and it's, you're, it's very regimented. It's, it's, it's awesome. And so when you say citywide, you're assigned to all working fires in the city, right? And then every any... working fire, every, uh, actually every, um, uh, tool job, pin mm-hmm. job, you know, auto extrication. Right. Um, actually they, they do get dispatched on the majority of the car accidents with injuries present as well. And then every elevator incident or emergency they get dispatched to. Got it. As well. uh, do so they have their a, own it's a busy fir- place? Yeah, they have their own first due assignment too, or no? No. Okay. So it's just a citywide, depending on on type of run, et cetera. Yeah, they'll 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 typically go with an engine company on a on a car accident. But okay. yes. Okay. Yep. So let me ask you then. I mean, with a company like that, with all that action and the excitement that's happening there and so on, um, hard to promote out. <laughs> well <laughs> extremely yeah, um yeah you know you work i worked i was very fortunate i actually worked on the same shift for 12 years um and actually the senior man uh we were together the whole time and then another guy we were together for 11 years so it was very hard to to promote out and the other thing too is like the conversation you and i had earlier yeah you know everyone has different motivations and some people promote because they want to move up. And I always tested. Um, I didn't test, you know, score too well. But everyone has motivation. Some people are trying to promote to escape, you know, a current assignment sure. in some cases. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it wasn't the case. So it was like, well, if I don't promote, darn, I'm still here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, 
it was it was definitely different leaving, but yeah, also but it, a new chapter. Well, and that's it, right? I I think sometimes a new chapter is is. Uh, it's exciting and you know, the unknown of it or what you can do with it. And then, you know, going forward, I mean, you, you promoted, you go to an engine company for, you said six months, I think you said. And then from, from there you found yourself in a, in a one year staff position. Talk to me about that a little bit. So I was approached by the administration about um, helping another Lieutenant create a professional development program. And at first I was like, you know, I don't know what the heck they're talking about. Yeah. But it was with the right person under the right uh, command staff, you know, um, knowing those guys when they were firefighters, you know, and, and knowing kind of their background. I'm like, all right, you know, I'll do it. Cause I'm not really, <laughs> I wouldn't consider myself uh, one to be behind a desk. So to speak. <laughs> I get it. Um, but it was the right place, right time, right people. So um, the fire chief, chief Mons, you know, had this vision of a professional development program. And you and I were talking earlier um, about this as well. Kind of where it started is using a bunch of a handful of different organizations. And they were talking about this type of program. And in New York State, a few years ago, the state statute actually changed where the uh, career fire chief of a department has to uh, hold uh, national certification fire officer three. And kind of the fire chief's thought was, well, we should try and meet in the middle here because our, our first line supervisors or our lieutenants, they get fire officer one when they start out. So, mm. you know, sooner or later, you know, accreditation and, and uh, certification isn't going anywhere. It's just increasing. His thought was, you know, well, let's, let's try and meet in the middle because you still have captains and district chiefs and deputy sure. chiefs. Um, and of course, why not raise the bar? You know, we always talk about, Sadly, in the fire service, and this is a sidebar conversation you and I talked about a couple of years ago, we always talk about the minimum standards. 100%. Right? We never talk about the maximum standards, which is why I think part of the problem with the broad um, strokes of the, the brush, so to speak, for the fire service is we talk too much about the minimum standards um, and not the maximum. But so his thought was, you know, we could have a, a guide. And we have digital and, you know, a physical copy, but kind of a guide to go horizontal in your fire service career. Um, you know, if you want to, because like I said, we all started out at engines. It was different course loads, stuff like that. Um, if you want to go to a truck, squad company, rescue company, maybe go to hazmat, become an instructor, EMS, whatever the case may be. Um, kind of a, kind of a find yourself, so to yeah. speak, as a firefighter. And then from there, you know, you can, also go vertical uh, to become potentially uh, also fire investigation was in there and codes, you know, fire prevention, but also you can go vertical as a Lieutenant captain, district chief deputy, and so on. Obviously we have uh, civil service tests to contend with to that, to move up, but different course loads to kind of coincide um, with those levels. I mean, so. so there's so much here, right? I want to unpack this a little bit because there's, there's a lot here, right? There's the, a lot. Yeah. The, the, so the fact that you're, chief of department and your command staff is looking to get away from a minimum standard and go to a maximum standard, right? A maximum sky's the limit. We want you to do better in your job. We don't want this a job. We want you to make this a career. We want you to buy in on us and we're going to buy in on you type of attitude, right? Which I can only think was part of your decision-making to take that staff job then, because like you said, there was no reason or want to ride a desk, but to have management, 
and administration tell you they want to better you and better your firefighters, right, in your department, it starts at the top down. And so that had to be really exciting for you to say, once you figured out what they were looking for with this professional development program, that had to be really exciting. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Anderson Rescue Solutions was founded in 2016 by former Philadelphia firefighter Tim Anderson. As an urban firefighter and rescue specialist, Tim found that the equipment available to him lacked the usability and practicality in complex, high-stress environments that rescuers often found themselves in. To combat this, he developed products based on his own experiences in the field, creating innovative, efficient gear designed to thrive in reality. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap is a perfect example of one of these products. Made in America, this patented tool is used for rapidly harnessing firefighters or civilians in the worst conditions. Every feature is fine-tuned to meet the needs of rescuers battling low visibility, low dexterity, and high stress. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap has been used in numerous real-world rescues for both firefighters and civilians all across the country, and it is being increasingly adopted by fire, rescue, and tactical agencies as standard issue equipment. I carry one. I have carried one for many years. It is the most versatile strap out there. Check it out. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Tim Anderson, the owner and proprietor of Anderson Rescue Solutions, has become a dear friend. In fact, he's even been on the podcast several episodes ago dropped incredible information he's super passionate about the fire service about special operations and he has built an incredible company an incredible product so because of our great relationship with tim and anderson rescue solutions if you go to andersonrescue.com you'll get 10 percent off if you use the promo code nfr2023 that's nfr2023 at checkout on andersonrescue.com you'll get 10 percent off your order and do me a favor go over to their social media and check out facebook instagram and youtube for weekly news product info and other content in regards to anderson rescue solutions this episode's brought to you by Flame Decon. Developed specifically for firefighter decon, Flame shampoo, body wash, and soaps reduce your risk of getting occupational cancer. Live fire testing shows that carcinogens on your skin after a fire are removed and undetectable after using Flame. Flame Decon has made a product that not only does its job and does it well, but that you'll enjoy using. They smell amazing. They make your skin and hair feel great. I will be an absolute witness to that. I have used the product. Tara and I have known each other for quite some time. She has sent us product. We have used it, and it does take that smell of soot and smoke off of you immediately following a shower. It makes a difference. You can find Flame Decon products at flamedecon.com and use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. That's promo code NFR for 15% off your first order at flamedecon.com. And for departments that are interested in departmental orders, more than one or two pieces of product, you can reach out to Tara directly at Tara at flamedecon.com. She's happy to entertain any inquiries that you have. And this made me think departments need to protect their own and protecting our own is also after the fire. Chiefs, purchasing managers, look into Flame Decon as a way of protecting our firefighters in and out of the firehouse. 
So check out Flame Decon at flamedecon.com. Use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. It was, but it also, this is this is kind of the interesting thing too, kind of cool as yeah. well. But fortunately, with the relationship um, with the top brass, it was, it was easy to do. But with that, you have to do a, a self-assessment. You yes. know, like we have to, you have to look at the mirror and say, all right, where do we lack? Mm. And you have to be honest with yourself. Yes. So, you know, we basically, my partner and I basically did essentially an audit of the entire fire department's training from the newest recruit all the way up to the top, you know, going through state records through the state database and stuff like that. And, you know, trying to accomplish, you know, trying to, trying to aim towards the chief's goals of certain levels. And then also within, when we teach a recruit class, he had a certain, um, there's a, there's a level within New York state for teaching recruit firefighters as right. instructors. You know, he wanted a, he wanted that for the goal was to have everyone in the academy staff to have that certification. Mm. Um, so we had to, we had to look at that stuff and there were some, it's hard to do um, interesting conversations. Oh, and, yeah. You know, you kind of have to find yourself and, and then because I'm kind of a history buff trying to understand how we got here. Right. You know? And part of that was, is we were, we used to be known as the Buck Rogers Fire Department, very progressive um, in the 70s and, you know, trying different things, a lot of innovation. Telesquirts uh, and mini pumpers. Yeah, mini pumpers, uh. telesquirts. We, <laughs> we still have remnants of some of that stuff. Some has evolved. Two-piece engine companies, man. I remember yeah. that. I mean, we still I have the two-piece engines. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. We had the 135-foot aerial truck for yeah, that's right. know, our high-rises. That's like, right. A whole bunch of different cool things. Yeah. Um. But then there's a missing piece between that and today. And studying it and studying budgets and studying, you know, knowing the history and studying certain things, you know, it wasn't one fire chief or administration's fault by any means. It's And this is the story of the majority of the fire yeah, service absolutely. in all reality. We've all gone through, you know, different crises. What Most of it financial, you know, cities don't have any money. Right. Um, whether some of it's their own doing or not, um, and meds and eds taking over the tax base, mm-hmm. therefore reducing the tax base. Um, and it doesn't have to be, this could be any city. Um, and then of course, changes in administration. If you only, if a chief only lasts a year or two in a fire department, they're not going to be very, you know, they're not going to accomplish a lot. Right. You know, right. so, and so some of those things we, realize we're part of our story but also the majority of the fire service that's that's the way it is i man there's so much there's so much there man the fact that (laughs) you know that's this is why a lot of these projects fail from the get is that once you realize you have to do an internal look and audit on yourself most people are like "Eh, we don't want to do that and it's funny you mentioned that because the first deputy and i were talking about this uh during the beginning of this phase and he said you know a lot of times you know the there's tons of ideas. You know how it goes. Every fire sure. department, there's, we have tons of ideas. The toughest part is getting across that finish line. Yeah. It really is. Yes. And, and knowing that from being in other organizations and stuff like that, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's trying to figure out what the deal is, you know, what, what the goals are, be yeah. honest with ourselves, and then kind of coming up with that roadmap. 
Yeah, and I, I think the roadmap is super cool because once you figure that out, right, once you're vulnerable enough to look at your deficiencies, what works really well and what's not working so well, and then you can find that common ground and everybody has buy-in, right? What you can do is really create a powerful program. And I think what's really impressive with your program it's not just designed vertically, meaning it's not just for educating the next step in your career, meaning like promotion, but it's also horizontal and horizontal means just bettering your own position. If you want to be a nozzle firefighter for 25 years in the city of Syracuse, we're going to help you get there because we're going to put this in front of you to show you all the potential and possibilities that are in front of you. Right. Absolutely. And then there's another side of it too. Like this is something that, that the, uh, and you and I talked about this on the phone earlier, like, uh, you know, with instruction, for example, for many years, you know, we didn't take the approach of anyone teach, you know, it was more or less, ah, you know, they wanted some structure for the most part. It was typically wanted a Lieutenant, um, or higher to do a lot of the formal instruction. Well, you and I both know, I know some of the smartest people and the best people I in the it. world. Yeah don't have crap on their collar. You know, they're like, for example, I have zero, zero, zero credibility teaching pump operations. For example, I was never a first two engine driver. Right. right. And then when I drove rescue one, I was responsible for two water cans and that was it. <laughs> yep. So right. I'd be the last person on planet earth to teach about pump operations, water in, water out. That's right. really the majority of what I know and yep. I can do it, but I'm not the guy. Sure. But that's where we need to tap into these senior, you know, firefighters that maybe didn't want to go to the next level and be the perfect driver. We just had a driver um, retire recently. He was 30 plus years on the job, um, was the first driver for the majority of that and was well known for his, um, you know, attention to detail and and actually creating and passing that torch and and building younger drivers that became, you know, senior drivers in time. And, And the fire chief was like, well, we need to really invest in our firefighters as well. So one of the things we actually did um, is we had a standalone fire instructor course for just firefighters. Talk to me about um, that. We, That's pretty cool. So we had a, st- so when all of our, when all of our lieutenants be, um, we have our first line supervisor training course, they get fire instructor one within that program. Well, we realized we need to have more firefighters as, as instructors as well. So we, decided hey let's do it so we were actually working um with Onondaga community college and um we actually ran a a firefighter only course and we had people submit you know because you have to pick people right um but we took several things into consideration you know how we address you know different issues of today and you know making sure we cover the the broad demographic of the fire department and making sure we're doing everything you know, the way things are supposed to be. I get it. Um, it worked out really well. And then, so, the, we so were, this was to take firefighters that potentially will, it's it's more of an informal instructor. Like you give them the ability no, to talk to me. They they all got national. They all are fire instructor ones, national, IFSAC national fire instructor ones. Right. But it doesn't mean, right. But it doesn't mean that they're going to become an instructor. It's to give them the tools. Not necessarily. To, right. Yep. It's, it's, it's the gateway, if you That's will. It's right. the gateway drug of instruction. Yeah. You and know, if that, and yeah, go ahead. From there, you know, within, 
they can take, you know, they become under the um, system in New York State under our MTO, they become MFIs or municipal fire instructors so they can teach within. Um, and, and a lot of them may get the uh, recruit firefighter series, the firefighter training series to teach recruits. Um, some might get like authorizations to teach uh, pump operations, stuff like that, based right. on kind of, you know, their kind of their lane, so to speak. Yeah. And know? what I love about that, too, and kind of where I was going, I may have came across wrong. But when I said informal, it was more of also whether they're standing in front of a classroom formally or informal yeah. on a on a, you know, after a fire when they're packing, he's showing the next kid you know, what he does on the fire ground as a chauffeur, as an engine, you know, chauffeur or something like giving him the tools of understanding how to instruct also works on the informal yep. side because it just, it, it gives him a better mindset of how to deliver what he knows to, to somebody. I mean, I, I just love that. Well, it's funny. It's funny because I have, I actually have two firefighters from my shift from my crew right now. Um, I think they wrapped up at the end of last week. I don't recall. Um, taking a fire instructor one course and, you know, we were talking about it, um, out in the bays, they were asking some questions and, you know, there's a little bit of, of nerves and stuff, you know, doing a new class and all that. And exactly what we were talking about earlier, I told him, I go, you guys are doing this already. You get a new fireman, you're teaching, the, you're doing the stuff informally already. Yeah. You know, all it is is kind of connecting the dots and, and putting that you know, putting it in a formal fashion with some other areas and giving them um, the ability to put it on their resume, right? Like, you know, you're, absolutely. you're giving them every tool they need to further their own education, which just makes them better. And that's what I think is so powerful about this. And what I wanted to ask was once you guys developed this program, was there immediate buy-in from the, from the membership of the department or was there some skepticism in the beginning like what is so, this about what's this gonna be what do they want well, more from us this is, you want to talk about striking while the iron's hot <laughs> okay so there's there's two parts of it one of one of them is first the initial oh this is just going to be for the rescue heroes you there know you what I mean? it's going to be just for the people with all the tech certs yep or it's just going to be for the vertical you know for the bosses and one of the things we worked on um with that is it obviously has to encompass everyone and then we were right at the striking point also where our union and the city were in contract negotiations. Uh, okay. So they were able to get a financial incentive program tied to this yeah, as well in the labor contract. Right. And that was part of the buy-in. So it was, you know, like you and I talked about before, people have different levels of motivation, different reasons for motivation. Um, and because there was a financial buy-in on, on one end of it, you know, people were like, oh, wow. But it really did change the culture, I, I have to say, within six six months. It's awesome. Well, um, you know, you said something earlier, which I thought was really cool. And, and you were talking about those two guys that were on the floor and they were asking some questions and talking about it. But like you said, ultimately, you hear so many people on the job now talking about furthering their education or they're involved in classes or they're, they're pushing themselves further. So years further. ago... Years ago, it was only like the rescue guys or um, the the personnel at the Hazmat Engine Engine Five and Truck Three, the Hazmat company. Yep. It was just those two companies or anyone that was a, a volunteer outside of work, you know, and that was always hush hush on what they're doing outside. Right. Um, those were my people. They were like the fire nerds, like myself. You know, we we're the only ones really talking about doing stuff, but kind of on the DL. Well, now you go any given firehouse. It's you know some firehouses company captains have taken you know, 
schedules of the state master list of different classes and they've posted them in the hallway like it's we have uh our training division is very active with with posting stuff on our sharepoint our network or our shared drive where we can put stuff out um so every firehouse can access via computer you know different schedules different the handbook with professional development all these different areas and then they will send out if there's a, a particular course that comes out they'll send out like a an interest email hey yeah. there's this for example a fire instructor one coming up blah 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 email the train division if you're interested um and we'll get you more information you know so it's a it's a big cultural thing it's huge it's been i mean obviously when you start something different it's going to be bumpy it's going to be ugly it's not perfect it hasn't been perfect it's not going to be but from where we were a couple of years ago it's it's amazing you have absolute buy-in from the top down and the bottom up doesn't get any better than that right i mean you well, the other thing too is because you're going to have you're also going to have the people that are kind of caught in the middle sure and what i mean by that is you know new york state like a lot of states is very unique in how our you know some of the certification processes are um but what's going to happen is all the newer people that like let's just say the class that started last year they don't they're not going to know any different that's it just like the the people before us the guys that i came on with we knew that you know when i came out rigs were red yes we still had some yellows out there but rigs were red the guys that came out when the rigs were yellow they didn't know any different that's right the guys that came out when the rigs were white and then changed to yellow that was progress not everyone was happy not everyone liked it but that's that's how you move forward it's always going to change I, you know, whether we like it or not you yeah. gotta either get on board or it's time to go i uh i love that and i just wrote it down um progress because i i i agree with you 100 i was just talking about this the other day on another podcast where i'm like the guys that are coming in today don't know any different and so you've created a culture now that promotes x y and z and so the new hire coming in or the new volunteer walking through the door for the first time doesn't know anything that led up to that all they know is what he's here and moving forward and then we educate along the way. Mm-hmm. And honestly, progress, you know, you could ask a thousand firefighters what progress is and you yes. get a thousand different answers. That's right. Um, but I think it I think it goes back to the whole th- there's a couple things. There's there's progress as in keeping up with the times, and then there's progress keeping up with the times and making the job more efficient and effective and, and truly understanding what it's all about. You know, and sometimes just Painting the, the the rigs a different color isn't necessarily progress, right? You know, no, I get sometimes it. we sometimes we change the fire service, not my department. Sometimes as a as a fire service, we just change stuff to change it, and we you and I both know that always isn't progress. New terminology, you know, new so, way to look at something. It's still the basic fundamentals, a, but hey, let's add another yeah. word or an acronym or something. Yeah, I mean that shit's happening oh, all the time. Don't, don't get me going on. I know, acronyms. I know, but no, and I know, I know where you come from, right? And I get that. That's why I said that because that is a lot of what's happening today. I mean, I I really believe that the core principles of the American fire service are all found. We know what they all are. Now it's how people are packaging them. And a lot of what you're getting today is just repackaged stuff built on the foundation of what's always been a core principle of the fire service. I think one of the big things, and this helped us during this process 
along with, you know, doing that audit and stuff like that. And this applies to the entire fire service. It's kind of cliche, but you really don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. You really have to study the history. So you got to know the the general history of the fire service, but your own organization. You got to know how you got to today. Because if you don't know that, whether it be like in our department, for example, understanding the modernization in the 70s when we, you know, reduced the number of engines started the two-piece companies with the telebooms and you know going all over the mm-hmm. tower seven towers and yeah and all that stuff and understanding when they added the fourth shift and just understanding the history and how you got to today and even the bad times you know understanding different levels of cuts and what happened and that you know that's the only way you can truly move forward how do you I know you're a big historian. I know um, I know that you are very protective of the history of the Syracuse Fire Department. Um, and I know that you know a lot about what has transpired over the many years that have gotten you guys to where you are today. I just know that about you. Um, with that, though, do you do you find because of these programs you guys are putting in place where you're promoting your own people, that there's more of a buy in that they want to know more? I think a lot of times people don't really care. They don't care because there's no reason or incentive for them to care, and so they just don't care about the past. And And I think it's so important. And for you, being a historian and somebody that, you know, for what you just said right there is very powerful. I talk a lot about that, knowing where we come from. You can't move forward unless you know where you've been, right? And so believing in that, are you finding that more people on your job are, are more interested in what has transpired over the years, the generations before? Um. Or are, are you influencing people? Do you like who's going to be there after you leave to talk about why the rescue company wears white helmets? Like who who's going to be there for that? Well, that you know what? Well, it, that goes back to us just spreading the good stuff to yeah. the next person in line. Yeah, you know, it really we have a good. There's a, another firefighter on the job who actually um, does a lot of the historical stuff, um, and and you know. We're working. There's a there is a, a small museum locally. Um, you know, we're always trying to get certain things um, together and and more formalized so people can understand. Um, but it's it's stories. It really comes down to, you know, when you're sitting at the kitchen table, drinking a cup of coffee, talking about what's going on for the day. You know, when when that's why these firehouses need to have old pictures in the firehouse. Yes. Of different crews, different fires, different rigs. Because like at eights right now, there's a picture um, from the, I believe it's the 20s, um, of the engine in the truck at an alarm, clearing up from an alarm. Um, and it it promotes, you know, conversation. People talk about it occasionally. Hey, what do you think they were doing back then or whatever? You know, it's just, you just got to, you know, I think company pride and history and yeah. something as simple as old pictures generate the start generating the conversation yeah somebody's got to be there though to answer some of it right and and that's what's really important though is that like you said just passing it forward through conversation i mean you know just those those nuggets that are important and let those stories run wild right like you know share a couple tidbits and then watch somebody else i have to think and i've seen it myself it's when you tell somebody something and then you come back around the corner, you know, a day too later, you know, a day or two later. And that kid that you just told something to is now telling somebody else like that to me is what we need to do a ton of. 
It's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. So talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, so progressing through your fire service career and always looking for more, if you will. I think that's how you are. You developed the training company, Take the Door Training, right? When did when did you? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's go down this road a little bit because you this know, is quite the rabbit hole. I'm I'm sure, and I can I can truly appreciate what it takes to do what you do when you run a training company. I know a lot of guys that have training companies across the country, um, and so on, and I know how much work and passion has to go into it. Um, what got you to fire off that idea of like, hey, here's an idea? So, like, I, I got enough time in so my world wasn't... to start a company. So I can't I can't take full credit for mm. it. So this took took some doing. Around 2009, I was actually hired by Brotherhood Instructors. I don't know if you remember Brotherhood yep, Instructors. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a Canadian division, a U.S. division. Actually, we had two two U.S. divisions. Um, they took me in in 2009, and that's really where I started. Um, uh, that's really where I really started getting my um, started really teaching. Okay. Um, and meeting tons of people. Well, without getting into details, um, they're not around anymore. Right. You know, the company itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that, a lot of the guys, we all teach together still. So I was kind of selling props, and we started a company called uh, Take the Door Props. We were selling all sorts of stuff, through the lock, hinge props, around... 2000 i think around 2012 13 and we kept getting these requests hey you guys should come you know do some forceful entry with us you know to to show us the props and all that yep no problem no big deal by this time probably around 2014 you know we were slowing down quite a bit with brotherhood instructors so you know people kept asking us stuff and so we just started doing a little bit more, a little bit right. more, and then it just kind of took off. You know, we just one of my buddies was like, "Ah, you gotta, you gotta start, you gotta start doing your thing." He's like, "You're just, you're just holding yourself back." So, 2015, we started uh, really doing forcible entry, doing forcible entry and machinery rescue for years with brother instructors. Um. People like, you know, it just, yeah, no, it, it went from there and yeah, we just right. kept going. Well, I, I will say this. I mean, knowing, <clears throat> meeting you, attending the conference. So you guys throw then take the door training, throws the heavy, heavy rescue conference in Syracuse. Um, it's your instructor cadre and you bring in a lot of people from outside your own network. Um, but you yes. have connections all over the country and I have to tell you, so I was up there, not this past year, the year prior, <laughs> I snuck up for a night and I was there and I remember checking in, coming down. I was in the bar and I'm just, I don't really know anybody there other than, you know, you, you invited me up for the night or whatever. And so I really didn't know anyone. And so I walk in the bar and I just looked around and I could not believe the people that were there. This was, I was like, this is a sleeper conference. No people need to know about because you have some of the biggest names in the American fire service. They're teaching. And doing hands-on. And I was floored by then what the conference really, how it was built out and the, and the personalities you had there. 
And uh, and it, it really speaks to who you are and how very much entrenched you are in the training fabric of the American Fire Service. And, um, you know, there this is, uh, you know, this is absolutely me promoting you right now because I was I didn't realize the reach and grasp that you had and the connections and the friends that you have. And it's through your own, you know, due diligence of, of hustle and hard work and wanting to promote training. I mean, it's huge. Well, part of it, you know, one of the things that I've noticed over the years, and it could be any, you know, conference you could think of, is a lot of them turned into, you know, very corporate. And I know that that's starting to come back away from that. You're starting to see with the big boys are starting to turn away from, you know, getting back to the nitty gritty yes. of why these conferences are, that's right. which is great. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Putting the firefighter um, first. Absolutely. But one of the things that we were um, going through is we were, like you said, everything was a wide brush stroke. Yeah. And the rescue guys or the special operations tech rescue people, there really wasn't anything there. There were some, there's some great programs out there. Um, for example, we do like the South Windsor rescue fire weekend in Connecticut in April. Um, one of my good friends started that one up. Um, there's a lot of great weekends out there, but the big conferences, they're, they're just kind of, you know, I don't want to say alienated, but it wasn't very encompassing and people weren't you know a four-hour program is good but you're think about what you're going to do in the rescue world for four hours in instruction yeah right you know so with that we thought go back to kind of our our main goal of the nitty-gritty rescue work thinking of the different disciplines and bringing in people that you know that's their field like if and everyone at, at the uh heavy rescue conference they're not all take the door guys um, because they can't, you know, we don't do everything and we don't want to do everything, you know, but knowing people in our industry that, you know, maybe do certain things or have a specific program that we know is top notch. Why would I not bring them in? Absolutely. You know? um, and, and that's kind of where I, we started this whole thing of let's bring the best of the best. Like, so for this year, for example, one of our speakers, um, actually on day one for the first day, it's actually going to be an eight-hour day. Um, Chief John Norman yeah. um, is going to be speaking, and you know, you know, you know how that goes. Uh, <laughs> living legend himself. I remember reading his articles in Firehouse Firehouse Magazine, you know, in 1998. Yep. I don't remember if he was a lieutenant or a captain, but I could still remember a picture in it vividly, and hanging on to everything that he said in that article. You know, so. Yeah. How, how important was like, you, you talk about the, the foundation of your department and knowing where you come from, but even our own fire service career, like I think back to those days of reading the magazines in the nineties and late eighties, early nineties, right. I became a fireman in 95 and I just remember these names and these articles and just the pictures. And I mean, I could probably tell you, there was a time where I could tell you, you know, whose apparatus it was, like what city just by looking at it, right? Without even knowing a oh, name yeah. and knowing the authors like Chief Norman and John Salka and all those names, right? Yep. Like, and it's just to, to fast forward now, it's so important to me. And I hope that the generation today is really acknowledging who's influencing their career today. Because like, I know for me, that was those, those gentlemen and those publications were a massive influence on me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So, so talk to me this year. So you got Chief Norman coming. He's going to be talking on the first day. Um, what yep. else do you have? So the conference is in Syracuse, New York, September 19th through the 22nd. Um, the Heavy Rescue Conference, uh, we'll, pr- we'll promote it and put it out there for you, Augie, so that people know about it. But I, I, I will tell you this. When I was there, there were guys from every corner of this country were there for heavy rescue operations. It was really cool to see. Guys from major oh, yeah. cities all over the country. What do you have going on this year with the conference? Uh, we've changed some of the things up a little bit. You know how it goes. We ran. So originally we were supposed to be in 2020, but then this magic thing called COVID <laughs> happened. Um, so 21 and 22 were really our first two years. Um, but we had to change some things up. You can't, you know, you got to cycle new stuff in. Sure. Um, we are bringing uh, 16-hour advanced metal cutting back. Um, that's actually one of our courses. Uh, retired Assistant Chief Mike Bates and Firefighter Andrew Broussard yeah. um, leads on that. we got some great instructors um, in that course. We've got um, heavy lifting with Paul uh, DeBartolomeo from FDNY in Connecticut Custom mm-hmm. Fire Training. Paul was with us our first year. Um, good buddy of mine bringing a great course, heavy lifting, um, to the program. Um, what else do we have here? We've got without the protection of a hand line with Lieutenant Dan Gordon uh, from FDNY and Flash Fire Industries. Yep. You see him all over the yep. Northeast. Yep. Great program. Last year was our first year bringing that. Um, and kind of addresses things about like door control, can confidence, more or less stuff on the fire ground versus technical. Sure. Um, and another great program. We've got some other stuff. We've got some trench stuff coming with Mike Tazarski. Um, we have a few other loose ends that I haven't finished finalized yeah, no, yet. That's it. why, yeah, that's totally. why people haven't seen much out there yet this year. Yeah. Um, I'm a little behind, but it'll be coming out soon. No, I but get that. All nitty gritty, you know nitty-gritty fireman stuff and so. it should and it should be said we said it before and i'll say it again you know to have a disciplined conference like this that focuses in on heavy rescue aspects of the job um this is a conference that if you run on a squad or a rescue company this is a this is a conference that is going to dial in on exactly what you guys do in-house and uh and but you yeah the other ahead. thing too though is mm-hmm. even if you even if you don't so let's say you ride on a smaller job like the department I worked on prior to Syracuse, where maybe you're it. Yeah, I get it. Yep, you know? absolutely. Because, you know, we all want to be on that, you know, disciplined, uh, you know, everything's separated in a defined companies and crews, and it may not be the case. So it fits all models. Um, but you, you, if you're doing any type of rescue work, it's it's quite the conference. No, I, I get it. And it's certainly a place. I mean, I was there, like I said, I walked the training grounds. And between a couple different locations, the heavy lifting, I mean, you had big rigs, buses, uh, you know, trucks, and then you had uh, the vehicle extrication. There had to be, I don't know, 50 cars littered across yeah, the we, area. Yeah, we had I mean, a lot of cars that year. Wild. That, that was Absolutely. quite the project. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was. I mean, the logistics on a project like this is not easy, oh I'm gosh. sure. But, uh, you know, but you, no. you bring in uh, an incredible instructor group that are very good at what they do. And it's certainly a conference that, you know, everybody that I saw there was like knee deep in it and getting their hands on it. 
and there was no standing around waiting Absolutely. around. Everybody's put everybody's put to work, and their skills were tested. It was cool, man. It was a lot of fun to watch and and to be a part of for a quick day that I was there. But uh, yeah, man, I wish you tremendous success with it. I think it's uh, I think it's a very necessary and worthwhile conference, and I think people need to get their asses up to Syracuse, New York, for it. Um, so Augie, that's fantastic, brother. Good work with that. Take the door training. Uh, where can people find you? How do they reach out to you if they have any interest in uh, taking the conversation further with you? Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, um, or even just take the door training.com. I love it, man. Well, listen, I, uh, I greatly appreciate you joining me. The hour goes very quick and, uh, you know, I just, uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with you today. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's um, it was a great, great way to segue into the week for me because to to know that a department like Syracuse, New York, is is buying into their people and pushing their people forward, and you had a you were a part of that. I just uh, that to me is awesome, man. It's refreshing to hear that there's still departments out there that believe in their people and their people believe in the department. So great conversation today, brother. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Anytime, brother. You're always welcome. Hang right here. I'm going to sign off the podcast, and I'll come right back to you, bro. Hey, guys. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Augie Matt, a lieutenant out of Syracuse, New York, owner and proprietor of Take the Door Training, and the man behind the conference, Heavy Rescue Conference, this September 19th through the 22nd, Syracuse, New York. Check them out online. Go to takethedoortraining.com. Check them out on social media. They'll be posting links to the conference. And I highly recommend if you can get up to Syracuse, New York in September, it's definitely a conference that's worthwhile. A great conversation. Take it back to the firehouse and talk about it, because when we're talking about the job, we are making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.